Good morning. We're glad you're here this morning. We are going to continue in our series called Red Thread. And if you've not been here, just let me kind of catch you up to say this, that our goal has been to go to the Old Testament and really discover the thread of God's love for humanity as well as God's thread of rescue for humanity. In fact, it's a thread that we see all the way in the Old Testament. I know sometimes we just think about it in terms of Jesus and what he did for us, but I would submit this to you. I believe what we read in the Old Testament points us to Jesus. It is a foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do. And I think when we read the Bible like that, it will change the way that we read his word. And so we've been in this series for quite a while now, and we've looked at a lot of different stories, but I want to take you back to last week because that's where we're going to pick the story up this week in Genesis or Exodus chapter 13. Last week I said, you know, we've been in every story so deep into the story and looking at the story of redemption and rescue that last week I said, let's back out. Let's back out like 30,000 feet and kind of get a bigger picture. So we covered 12 chapters last week, but here's what we found out. That the story of God's redemption really takes through, has three elements in all his stories of redemption. There's three key elements. The first one is slavery. That, that for, if for Israel, they were enslaved to Egypt. For you and I, we are enslaved, if before Christ, enslaved to sin, the Bible says. And then there's always a deliverer. God raised up Moses. God sent his son, Jesus. Are you getting the picture there, right? And the last, the last step is rescue. God steps in, God intervenes, God works on the behalf of his people, and he does only what God can do. Now, those three elements are true all the way through scripture. If you don't believe me, just read the book of Judges. The book of Judges is a great picture of how Israel, who followed God, would rebel against God, and they would come under the yoke of slavery, maybe somebody that was ruling over them, or their own sin, and all of a sudden they would rebel against God, and then God would raise up a judge or deliverer to go to them and tell them the heirs of their ways, and then Israel would eventually repent, and God would rescue them. I mean, all the way through the book of Judges, over and over and over again, that's how God operated with Israel. I think it's still the way that God operates with us too. I think that sometimes the story of redemption, it didn't just stop with Jesus. God continues to redeem us and to rescue us. I don't know about you, but I know me that sometimes I find myself falling into the cycle of sin and God having to raise somebody up, whether it's just through reading the word or what Jesus did for me or somebody speaking into my life about the sin or failures or whatever's going on and then God does something awesome in my life. The story of redemption always has those three ingredients. Bondage or slavery, a deliverer, and then ultimately a rescue. Amen? Now, today I want to focus on the rescue. Exodus chapter 13 is where we're going to be this morning. And there's, there's some things that I think are very important for us to see about the event and the activity of this rescue. The first thing I want you to notice with me today in chapter 13 is the path of rescue. Listen to this in verse uh, 17. It said when Pharaoh, now let me stop there for a minute. You remember last week what happened, right? The children of Israel are in bondage, 400 years. God sends these 10 plagues to, to Pharaoh to let his people go. And every time the Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to let your people go. And then the last plague was the plague of the death of the firstborn. So God tells Israel through Moses, hey, have them kill an unblemished lamb, put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel. And when the death angel comes to take the firstborn, it will pass over. And after that night happened, it was at that time, it was time to get out of Dodge, right? Because at that point when it happened, Pharaoh goes, these Israelites, man, they are like a virus to me. Get them out of here. And they begin the road to being rescued. But I want you to notice it says here, when Pharaoh let the people go, 
God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Now that means that was the shorter route. God didn't take them that way. For God said, lest my people change their minds when they see war, they will return to Egypt. But God led the people around the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Now here's what I want you to notice about this path of rescue. God took Israel the long way around. Now, how many of you like to travel and you like the scenic route to get where you're going? Anybody? There's a few weird people in the room, right? Okay, great. You like, you like going away you've never been before, right? Sometimes I do that. I like that, but not most times. Most of us want what route? The fastest and the shortest route. The one that will, maybe the least amount of cops, but we want to get there and we want to get there right now. We want the fastest and the shortest route. But when you read the story, I think sometimes what gets missed in this story of rescue is God did not take them the shortest path. In fact, I don't have a map, and I, and I love maps. I should have shown one to you this morning. If you had seen a map from where they were to where God wanted them to go, which was the land of Canaan, the path that they could have taken through the land of the Philistines would have been much shorter, and there would have been no sea to have to cross over. It would have been a straight shot path. But God didn't take them that way. Notice what it says, that God took them through the wilderness via the sea. Right? Now, here's the question I have all the time. Why? Why would you do that? Why not just take them the shortest path? Why take them the long way around God and get them in the wilderness and now there's a sea they got to cross? Why would you appear, in my opinion, why would you do what seems to be so difficult rather than taking the simplest route? Well, let me tell you why. We find one of the answers in scripture. One is because God was afraid that if they saw the hostility as they passed the land of Philistines, they would just want to return back to Egypt and to slavery. So one reason that God takes them a long way is because the shortest path was loaded and it was a hostile territory and he was afraid that if Egypt, that if Israel gets into this hostile territory and they see all this opposition, they will just wave the white flag and go right back into slavery. That's one reason. Here's another reason. Because God, I'm just going to say this and I want you to hear me. God just wanted to show out. Is that okay to say that? Is that Okay. Okay, so I think sometimes we, we don't have the fear and the reverence of God that we ought to have. And then when he shows out, we don't know what to do with that. We're like, oh my gosh, I mean, uh, something awesome just happened. We don't know how to handle that. Listen to verse 14, chapter four, verse, chapter 14, verse four says this. And God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and I will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Right? Here's what God's saying. I'm just going to show out. I'm going to remind this Pharaoh who thinks he's God, he's not God because I am the Lord. Meaning, I am the only Lord, I'm the only one there will ever be, and I am him. And by taking you the long route, I'm showing them that I'm God and he is not. That's important for us to think about that. Let me give you another reason. Because maybe God just wanted to remind Israel how much they really didn't need him. Listen to this verse in chapter 13, verse 22. It says that God provided a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and it did not depart from the people. Now, now here's what you need to know. I've never been in the desert. Some of you may have been in the desert, but here's what I do know about desert. In the daytime, a desert is what? Hot. In the nighttime, a desert is what? 
Now it's not, it's not, it's not foreign to think, okay, here's this Israelites, they've left Egypt and God has taken them the via the way of the wilderness, which means they're in desert territory and they're going to go to this sea. I mean, it's not, it's not unfathomable to think that the terrain they're walking through is a desert terrain. So in the daytime, it's going to be hot and the nighttime it's going to be cold. But God says, look, I'm going to provide for you. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a pillar of cloud by day. I'm going to bring you shade in the heat of the day. And at night when it's cold and you're just like, man, I'm going to provide fire by night to keep you warm. Now, please hear me. When I read this story, I'm just reminded maybe God took them the long way. Yes, because they didn't want to go back to slavery. Yes, because, you know, God was like, I want to, I want to show out and show Pharaoh I'm the only God. But is it also possible that maybe because God wanted his people to realize how much they really need him? Now listen to me, if they had gone the short route, it would have been so much quicker and they would have not had time to really process and think about how much they needed God. Maybe that's why he took them on the long route. Let me give you one more reason. I think maybe the most important reason that God took them the long route is because he wanted to see if they would totally commit to him. Listen to this in chapter 14, verse one and two. Then the Lord God said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of, and if you can pronounce it, more kudos to you, between Megal and the sea in front of Belzephon, and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. Now you're like, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, here's what God says. I don't want them to go this route. I want them to go the other route. I want them to go the other route. And here's what I'm going to do. I want them to camp, and he gives them the exact location where he wants them to camp. Now here's what that exact location would look like. They're between two Egyptian cities, and there's mountains on both sides. So God is literally, you know the expression between a rock and a hard place? You know that expression? That's literally where God has placed Israel. They are between two mountain ranges that are owned by Egyptian, their Egyptian territory, two large Egyptian cities, and there's a sea in front of them. I mean, they just walked down a tunnel of mountains. Now, why would God do that? Because God knows what's going to happen, right? We know the rest of the story. God knows what lies ahead. And there's a moment where God is testing Israel. How much are you really going to trust me? Because the path I'm going to take you down is going to take you a long ways. It's going to take you not the easy route. And where you find yourself is going to be between a rock and a hard place. You're going to be between two mountains with a sea in front that seems impassable. And eventually, what's going to be behind them? Pharaoh and his army, Right? And so God is testing how much are you really going to trust me? Now, I just want to say something to you about this path of rescue. It was the long way around, wasn't it? But I think God had purpose in what he was doing. And I think that we need to understand sometimes that sometimes the road to rescue is long. It's long. Let me give you a couple examples. When I lived in Tennessee, there was a guy that went to our church. His name was Frankie Hernandez. And Frankie was married to a, uh, a lady whose mom and dad were a big part of our church. The dad was a deacon in the church. And they would, they, when they got married, there was, you know, he wasn't a believer. And so they were kind of at odds about that. But they would invite Frankie to church. And Frankie would come to church, you know, on the major holidays, Mother's Day, Easter, Christmas. That's when he came to church. And for about a couple of years, Frankie, that's the only time he'd come to church. But what I did notice about Frankie is the more he came, the more conversational he would become. Even though it was only three times a year, at least he would open up and have a conversation. And then Frankie had kind of a near-death car accident where he did not die, but he was in the hospital for weeks. 
And when he came back to church, which was not a major holiday, after his car accident, and the church had loved on him and took him food and just, we went visiting the hospital. I mean, we just loved on him the best we could. Frankie comes back to church and he says, I need to talk to you, Doug, after church. I said, all right, Frankie, no big deal. And so after church, he comes up and says, man, you know, I only come in Mother's Day and Easter and Christmas. I said, yeah, Frankie, I, I, I'm aware of that. I understand. He's like, you know, but he said, I had this accident. Yeah, yeah, Frankie, I know. I, I brought food to your house. I remember that. He's like, but here's, you don't understand. He said, man, God got my attention, Doug. God got my attention and helped me realize that if I were to die in that accident, I would not spend eternity with him, but apart from him. And in that moment, when I came to in the hospital, I said, Jesus, would you be my savior? And he said, I gave my life to Christ. And I just wanted you to know that. And I'm telling yeah, 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 you can clap for that, yeah. Now, here's the thing. The road to rescue took him two years to get there. But here's what I want you to understand. While the road to rescue sometimes takes a long way, God is always working in the journey. Do you hear me on that? While the road to rescue may take a long time, God is always working in the journey. Now, here's the rub on that. Most of us want God to move on our behalf, but I want it right now, right? I want to say amen in a prayer and bam, I got exactly what I prayed for. Anybody else like that? Come on, you know you are. We want it right now. We want it right here because we want to move on with our life. But what if, what if, what if that, that sometimes God takes us the long way around because he's trying to do something in our lives? Maybe he's trying to teach us something. You ever thought about that? Now, most of the time when I go through an issue or circumstance or struggles in my life, rarely do I stop and go, maybe God's trying to teach me. What I want is out of it, right? What I want is to get through it. I want to get on the other side of it. I want the, the hurting to go away. I want the pain to go away. I want the failure to go away. I want to get on the other side. And as quickly as I can do that, the better I am. But sometimes, please hear me, sometimes the road to rescue in our lives, God takes us a long way around to get there. And maybe it's because he's trying to teach us something. You know, I think sometimes God tries to teach us the same thing he was trying to teach Israel. I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I mean, if there's one thing, if you were Israel at this point, you've been in bondage for 400 years, and you'd heard the stories of Abraham, the God, that there's a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they cried out to him, and how God, I mean, God brought plagues on, on Egypt to get his people out. I mean, there had to be a moment where God is like, Israel, what are you thinking? I'm being faithful to you. Would you just pay attention? And I think sometimes God takes us the long way around because he's trying to teach us something. I think another reason he takes us the long way around because maybe he's trying to show us something. Maybe he's like Israel trying to show us our need for him. I don't know about you, but sometimes in life, I get going so fast and so much and so hard in life that sometimes I forget that I'm in desperate need of God's intervention in my life. I'm in desperate need of God to do something in my life, my marriage, my relationship, my finances. I mean, sometimes we think we've got life so figured out, I don't need God. And I'm just telling you, I think sometimes God takes us a long way around to rescue to show us some things. And to show us that we need him. I think sometimes he takes us the long way around because he's trying to prepare us for something. Now this one I think is, we could talk all day on it and I won't, but I think God's trying to prepare us sometimes. See, here's the thing that you don't know. You don't know what tomorrow holds for you, do you? Anybody know what tomorrow holds for you? Well, yeah, I'm going to get up about 6 o'clock. I'm like, no, 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 you don't know that. 
But who does know what tomorrow holds for you? God does. Right? Who knows what 2018 will hold for you? God does. Who knows what 2025 will hold for you? God does. God knows what life holds for you. And is it possible that sometimes God takes us the long way around to rescue because God is preparing us for something that's going to happen down the road and better prepare us now and get us ready for it than all of a sudden to catch us off guard. Amen? And some of us know what I'm talking about, whether it be death and loss or pain or divorce or whatever it is. God is preparing us. But can I tell you one more thing? I think the reason God took him a long way around and maybe takes us the long way around is because he's trying to remind us of something. You know the thing I think God tries to remind us more of than anything else that we sometimes don't want to hear is how much he really does love us. Now you think about what God has done for Israel. I mean, could God have not just said, hey, look, you're in bondage for 400 years. You seem to like it. I'm going to go on and pick a different group. Let's go with the Babylonians over here because they seem to be a little more desperate than you guys are. Isn't, couldn't God have done that? Sure he could have. But what lengths did God go to to show Israel how much he loved them and cared about them? He raised up a deliverer named Moses, who if you look at the story of Moses, I mean, Moses was a coward. Wasn't he? I mean, God calls him out, and Moses like, oh, I don't think I can do that. I, just, uh, I don't know, God. I, I just, I'm too. Well, they don't. I mean, he gave every excuse in the book, and God continues says, Moses, it's you that's going to go. Moses goes. Ten plagues come, and God raises Israel out, and He's moving them to the path of rescue. I think sometimes God takes us the long way around in our rescue because He's trying to remind us that He loves us. And some of you today, maybe you need to hear that. Maybe life has beaten you down and you feel like you're in the midst of something and you're like the old Calgon commercial. Lord, you know, take me away, you know. I mean, you're just trying to get away from whatever's going on in your life and you want rescued from it. Listen to me. Don't wish it away. Enjoy the journey because God is at work. Whatever you need rescued from, God is at work in the journey to get you there. Maybe he's trying to teach you something. Maybe he's trying to show you something. Maybe he's trying to prepare you for something. Maybe he's just trying to remind you of how much he loves you. But don't miss this. No matter how long the path to rescue is, God is always working in the journey. Second thing I want you to notice about the, the rescue is the struggle of rescue. Look with me in chapter 14, verse 10 through 12. When Pharaoh drew near, so now they're between these two mountains, right? Two Egyptian cities. There's a sea in front of them. Now, when Pharaoh drew near, he's behind them. People of Israel lifted up their eyes. I kind of have the Jaws theme song in my mind when I hear this. You're right. Da -da. No, no, right? I mean, because this was not a glorious moment, right? I mean, God, it's like, God, where, <laughs> did you really lead me to this place? I mean, wouldn't you feel that way? Hey, God, did you really lead me to an impassable sea and between two mountains that, by the way, Egyptians have large cities on, and now Pharaoh has changed his mind and his army is behind me? God, did you really put me in the midst of this? So look what happens, verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Duh, right? Why would you fear because there's no escape, right? Why would you fear if you're Israel at this point? There is no path to escape. And the ones you just left that are probably a little ticked off at you have now come to take you back. Verse 11 says this. It says, uh, then they said to Moses, is it because there is no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to bring us to this out of Egypt? 
Is this not well, if it was said in Egypt, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now, here's a struggle they're having. You ready? Write it down. Fear. Fear. Do you get it when they said they were greatly afraid? And I'm just going to tell you from my own personal experience and what I know from my life and from others' lives I encountered, probably the greatest hurdle for humanity to be used by God and for God to speak and use you in life is fear, right? Afraid. Now look what fear did to them. Verse 10, let's go back to verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, they lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they greatly feared and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. See, fear was holding them back. It was like, God, okay, you brought us to this place, God. We trusted you, God. You said to follow you, to go with Moses. We've done that, God. But God, nothing's changed. In fact, listen, listen, listen. In fact, where we're at appears to be worse than where we've been. I don't get it, God. Now, please hear this. I think fear holds us back. I think sometimes we pray and we pray and we follow God and we're living for God. And sometimes we are just in that place where we're like, okay, God, I've been praying. God, I've been following. God, I've been trusting you and nothing has changed. In fact, it feels like things are worse, not better. Now, listen to me. That may be the case, but hear this. A life lived in fear is not a life that's going to be lived for God. And fear is holding them back. But look what also fear did. Look at verse 11 with me once again. And they said to Moses, I love this. I have it underlined in my Bible with a lot of other stuff. Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you had to bring us all the way out here to die in the wilderness? I mean, they're like, they're like angry with Moses. And they said, you know, bring us all the way out here to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us and bring us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better to serve them than to die in the wilderness. Listen, fear not only held them back, fear caused panic, right? I mean, these people are freaking out. They're between two mountains, an impassable sea, and Pharaoh's approaching fast on their tail. And they're like loaded with fear, and and there's creating panic in their lives. Now listen, here's something I want you to understand about Israel. Do anybody remember how long they were in slavery? I said it a while ago, do you remember how long it was? 400 years. That's not just mom and dad. That's not just grandma and grandpa. That's your great, 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 how far you want to go. Ever since I can remember, as far as my genealogy goes back that I know of, we've been in slavery. Listen, is it possible that they had been in slavery so long that all they knew was to see the hopelessness of the situation? Is it possible that all they knew was, hey, we've been enslaved so long, we don't know what freedom looks like. All we know is what slavery looks like. And what this looks like is hopeless. And so they do the only thing they know to do. They blame Moses. Moses, it's your fault, man. Why have you brought us out here? And it gets so bad and so panicked that they even look back at the old life of slavery and wonder, would have been better to just stay there. Now, this is where I really want you to hear my heart this morning. I think this is true for all of us. That when fear sets in, yes, it holds us back, but it creates panic in our lives. 
And I think sometimes when we look at situations and circumstances, all we see is the hopelessness in those rather than the freedom and the protection and provision that God is providing through those. And so we see only the hopelessness of it, and then we do the only thing we know to do. We begin to blame God. God, why did you do this to me? God, why did you allow this happen? I mean, how many times have I ever been asked the question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Or why does God allow suffering? Listen, I have those questions, but I choose not to ask the why, but going, God, what are you doing through suffering? What are you doing through bad situations? God, what are you going to do and bring out of those moments? But I think sometimes we just do what we know to do and we start blaming God. We start saying, God, why are you doing this to me? God, why have you let this happen? And it gets so bad for some of us that we think living a life of slavery, of letting sin reign and rule in our life, is just easier. Or letting something reign and rule over us is just easier. Well, like, I don't believe that. Well, let me just ask you this. How many of you have ever known some? No, raise your hand, but you've known somebody who is in an abusive situation in a relationship, maybe a marriage, and here's what they found out. They would try to get out, but it got so tough, they found themselves just going back. Why? Because sometimes, as sad as it is to say it, is we choose slavery over freedom because we don't know any better. Right? Now, here's the best part of the story for the most, up to this point. Moses is like, I've had enough. You guys are freaking out. You guys are loaded with fear. You guys are panicking. You guys are blaming me. You guys want to go back to Egypt and go back to slavery and go back to making buildings with brick and mortar. And even that was made hard on you. You want to go back and look what Moses says in verse 13. He looked at him and says, and Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who see you today, you shall never see again. The Lord, underline this please, the Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. In other words, God's gonna fight for you and just shut your mouth. That's what he's saying. Now Moses hears the struggle of rescue in this fear and then Moses speaks to it. And here's what Moses says. First of all, he says, don't fear. And they would say, I know you don't understand the circumstance. I know you don't understand the situation. I know you don't understand where this thing's going. But listen, there's a God who does. And quit worrying about it and trust him. Well, that's way easier to come out of my mouth than to practice in my life. I can tell you that. Right? Don't fear. And then he says something else. He says, stand firm. Now, why in the world would he say stand firm? He's like, hey, not like, you know, throw your chest out, put your chin back. I mean, no, what he's saying is, I want you to be confident and rooted in what you know. Now, what do you know, Israel? God is faithful. What do you know, Israel? God wants to rescue you. Okay, be confident and sure of that and forget focusing on your situation only. So stand firm. And then he says one of the most powerful things. He said, and see the Lord's salvation. In other words, start looking for rescue. A couple of days ago, David came home from school. He said, Dad, I got a joke to tell you. And you all have heard this joke, but I'm going to tell it anyway. He said, I got a joke to tell you. I said, all right, David, go for it. And you know, you know, when your kids are a certain age, sometimes the jokes, it gets to the end, you're like, where's the ding? You know, where's the punchline to it, you know? And he's telling this joke, and, he, and it was actually good. He's like, hey, Dad, there's this guy, and he had this house, and, and it began to flood around his neighborhood. And this guy on a John boat came by and said, hey, why don't you get in the boat because it's going to flood here? And he's like, no, God's going to protect me. Y'all have heard his joke, right? 
Okay, but high five. God can tell it anyway. This Jumbo's come by and says, hey, you want you to get in the boat, we'll rescue you. We'll get you out of here. He's like, no, no, God's going to take care of me. And the floodwaters continue to rise. He lets the boat pass. And then he gets up on his back deck and he's like, hey, you know, God's going to protect me. And so another boat comes by, a bigger boat, says, hey, listen, we're evacuating the area. You need to get on the boat because the floodwaters are rising. And if you don't, you're, you're eventually going to die. And so get on the boat and let's go. And the guy says, no, God's going to take care of me. Well, the floodwaters continue to rise and he gets all the way on the top of his roof line. And then a helicopter comes by and says, listen, dude, he says, get in the helicopter and we'll bring you to rescue and you'll be okay. If not, you're going to die. He says, no, God's going to take care of me. Guess what happened to the guy? He drowned. He drowned. Right. And when he gets to heaven, he goes, God, I said you were going to take care of me. He's like, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. What else do you want? Right. <laughs> and when David told the story, no one's going to preach about today. I thought that's it. This guy wasn't looking for rescue. He was just saying something because he was supposed to say it. God did send two boats and a helicopter. That was a rescue God was providing. And I think Israel's like, listen, Israel, look for the salvation that God's going to bring you. Look for the rescue that God's going to bring you. And he says here, because God is fighting for you. It reminds me what the Apostle Paul says when he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Listen, if you're a child of God, your heavenly father still fights your battles for you. He's still fighting on your behalf. He's still doing his work on his behalf. He just needs you to be silent. And that's what, that's what Moses says. He says, stop whining and start looking. Quit whining to the Lord and start looking for the salvation that's going to come. So we've got this path of rescue, this long road. And then we've got this struggle of rescue, fear, and then Moses addresses it. But the last thing I want you to see, and maybe... It's, it's the most beautiful thing is the beauty of the rescue. And I'm going to steal my thunder by telling you what the beauty is. The beauty of rescue is this. God is always at work. You don't see the behind the scenes what God is doing, but I promise you, God is orchestrating, God is working, and God is doing. Let's look at what God did in the story. First of all, verse 19 through 20. Look at me, it says this. Then the angel of God, who's going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them, and it stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. Now, do you understand what just happened right there? The pillar of cloud that was by day now has gone before them, that was once before them, guiding them, directing them, leading them, and also providing shelter for them, now has moved behind them. And it says this. And coming between the host of Israel and of, of Egypt, and there was a cloud and darkness, and it lit up the sky without one coming near the other all night. Now, there's what that means. God moved the cloud from before Israel to behind Israel in front of the Egyptian army, and it says that and it began the cloud began to light up. You know what God did? Did anybody know what God did? Think about it. When the clouds light up, what do we call that today? Lightning. What did God bring to slow Egypt down so that he could continue to orchestrate his plans of rescue? He brought a storm, right? Have you ever seen that before? He brought a storm. He moved the cloud of protection and he just moved it because now he put it behind them between him and the Egyptian army and he creates a storm so he can continue to orchestrate what he's doing. Listen, what I love about this is that God diverted the clouds. Why? Because he was working. His plan of rescue has never changed from the time he raised up Moses to right now. And so God moves the clouds because Egypt's getting close and God moved the cloud because he wanted Israel to stay on the path to rescue. God diverted the clouds. And then here's the miracle. God divided the waters. Look at me in verse 21 and 22 as we get ready to close. 
that Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry land, the waters being a wall on their right hand and on their left. So what did God do? God divided the waters. I mean, listen, listen, if you're an Israelite and you're like, okay, there's mountains, there's a sea, and there's Pharaoh. Would you have a little bit of panic in your heart? Yeah. Moses calls them out. Don't fear. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Look for what God is going to do. So God, first of all, he diverts the clouds. They would have noticed that going, okay, God's on the move. And then when Moses raised his staff up, if I'd have been there, I'd be like, dude, what is he doing? Right? He raised his staff up, and all of a sudden, the waters begin to create a wall. Now, this may be the one miracle I would have loved to have seen in the Old Testament. And I noticed that it says that twice, they walked on dry ground. It wasn't muddy. They weren't sinking. It was dry ground. God took it all and he separated. Now, if I'm in Israel, I'm like, yes, right? I mean, because right now, there's my way of escape right there. And it's through that Red Sea onto the other side. See, God not only diverted the clouds, but God divided the waters. And lastly, and we won't read this whole passage, God drowned the Egyptians. Now, the Egyptians followed after them. And we won't read it because of the lengthy passage, but here's what happened. It says that God began to clog up their wheels. But God began to slow them down. And when Moses got on the other side, Moses lifted his staff up again, and all the waters that had created a wall came crumbling down. Now, who got the victory that day? God did. Why? Because he showed that his power and his might is more victorious and more authoritative, and it's bigger and more sovereign than anything the Egyptian army had to offer. And God destroyed the enemies of the Israelites. Do you think God's going to destroy our enemy one day? I'm not talking about your neighbor who you can't stand. That's not what I'm talking about. You wish I meant that, right? That's not who I'm talking about. Do you think God's going to destroy Satan? Man, just read the book, right? Now listen to the conclusion that the, at the very end of verse, chapter 14, verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel on that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And in other words, Israel was able to look back over what God had done and goes, God showed up. God was faithful. God rescued us. Now here's where I'm at this morning. I think we all need to be rescued. I think there's some of you in the room today that does not have a personal relationship with Jesus. And the Bible says that your eternity will be apart from him. That you will be in a place that is apart from Jesus in heaven. It's in a place called hell. And we could spend all day on what hell looks like and what it's going to be. But ultimately, the worst part of hell is not just the darkness or the weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is the eternal separation from our Savior. And I'm just telling you, the path to rescue is not religion. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for some of you, you're letting fear hold you back. Like, you know, but if I give my life to Christ, man, you have no idea what this is going to mean to my husband, my, my wife, what they're going to say. You have no idea what this means about the things I'm going to have to give up because now I've got to obey God's word. And do, I, you, Doug, you have no idea. Listen, don't let fear hold you back. Don't let fear keep you from receiving the greatest rescue that will affect all of eternity for you. But like Israel, please hear me, like Israel, you have a choice to go through it the dry land, and experience the rescue, and to trust Jesus as your Savior, or to stay right where you're at.
you know, you don't hear any Israelites staying back and letting the Egyptians take them back into slavery, do you? They saw the way of escape. They took it. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior today, I'm challenging you, would you take it? And we sing in a moment, I'll be on the side over here or after the service is over, I would love to talk to you, but would you make a choice today to take the salvation, the rescue that God has provided for you through the person, the work of Jesus? Give him your life. But then I think there's a lot of people in the room that are believers, and I think we need rescue too. I think maybe we need rescue from sin. Maybe there's some situations we need rescue from. Maybe self is what we need rescue from because we're just so self-centered in our society today. Maybe you've got something you need to be rescued from. Here's what I want to say to you. The path to rescue may be a long one. God may have you on a journey, but please know this. God hears you. We see that in Exodus 3. But also God is at work in you and through you and around you even when you don't see it, feel it, or sense it. He's with you and he's working. And don't let fear hold you back from trusting him and committing at a higher level to him. But guess what? You have to choose it too. You have to choose to say, Lord, I'm gonna follow, obey, and trust you with everything. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Everybody stand up with me. Everybody stand up and just close your eyes and just bow your heads, if you would. Every head bow and every eye closed. Just stand up with me. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We don't do this a lot, but I'm just going to ask you, and I'm going to ask nobody to look around, all right? This is between you and the Lord, and if I see it's fine, if not, that's okay. This is between you and the Lord. Nobody's calling you out or going to come, come track you down, but I just want you to be honest this morning. And if you're here today and you say, Doug, you know, I know that I need rescue. I know that I do not have a relationship with Jesus, and I know that Jesus has died for me on the cross, and I know that I need to accept him as my Savior. I know he's the only way of escape. And today, I know that I need to trust him in my life. If that's you, would you just slip that hand up and put it back down? I'm, nobody's going to call you out. I just want to, you know I'm praying for you. Man, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just put it up and put it right back down. Amen. If you're here today and you're a believer and you say, man, Doug, there's, there's some things that I need to be rescued from. Maybe it's some sin in my life. Maybe it's a situation in my life. Maybe it's something just going on. And I need God to step in. I need God to intervene. I need God to do something. If that's you today, can I, I'm just going to pray for you. Would you just put your hand up, put it right back down? And if that's your story, yeah. Man. Let's pray together. Father God, I love you. And God, you, you know when you saw hands, you know the hearts of everybody in the room. And God, you know there's those in this room that need eternal rescue. They need to give their faith and put their faith in Jesus as their Savior. And God, I pray today they would do that before they leave, that they would admit that they're a sinner, confess it, and ask Jesus to forgive them of their sins and to come into their life. God, I pray they would do that before they exit this morning because we don't know what tomorrow holds. So may they have the strength to make that decision, the courage to make it. But God, I pray for the multitude of believers that said, man, there's something going on in my life that I need rescued from. God, may you remind us that while you rescued us as believers and when you saved us, you still rescue us every day. You're still there with us. You're still fighting for us. You're still loving us. You're still nudging us, encouraging us. You're still directing us. That God, you are so desperately in love with us today. And would you just remind us that you hear our cries, that you know the area we need to be rescued from, and that if we will humbly surrender ourselves to you, 
that you'll put us on a path to rescue. It may be a long path, but we can trust as we saw in the text today that you're gonna ride that path with us and you're gonna work. And when fear tries to hold us back and create panic, may you rebuke us of that. And may we depend on what we know about you, how awesome and faithful you are. And God, I just pray today that we would all realize that you're still a God that rescues. You're still the God that redeems. You are still a God that changes lives. So God, just be with us today. May we cling to you. May we hold to you. May we just surrender our lives to you. And if we need eternal rescue, may we find someone. If we need rescue from whatever's going on in life, may we get on our knees and confess it before you. God, we love you. We thank you for today. And you, may you move in this place only as you can. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you need to come pray this morning, man, you come to this stage, you're off the side of the stage and just get on your face before God and say, God, I need some rescue. I, I need intervention in my life. Or if you need Christ as your Savior, I'm just going to be standing right over there. I would love to talk to you about how to make Jesus the Lord and save your life. Let's sing and let's worship together here.